0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But cosentics works on both.
3: Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. ba 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 Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Our title sponsor is Peterson Toyota, a great Ram Nation partner that prides itself on great service and delivering you the vehicle that is right for you. They've been in business for more than 50 years, and they are the largest dealership in Northern Colorado. Hop online and check out the new full-size SUV 2023 Sequoia. It's got 437 horsepower, 9,000 pound max towing, seating for up to seven or eight people, 14 inch touchscreen. You'll be amazed at that vehicle as well as their entire selection. Peterson Toyota's knowledgeable, friendly staff will help you find the right vehicle for you. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I am Joel Cannellamessa. I'm joined by Mike Rowe, who I believe was a key reason for CSU's win Tuesday night. Uh, along here with Steve Ivey, who wrote a great game recap, which was not about Mike Rowe helping CSU win, but uh, was a great recap nonetheless. If you're not following him at uh, Crackers College Hoops blog, you're missing out. So, uh, But uh, the Rams are missing two key contributors Tuesday night, uh, Adam Thistlewood who we knew about. And uh, then before the game, we heard that John Tanjay was not going to play. Speculation was a hip. We have since found out that it's potentially a knee issue. Um, And uh, we'll ask Adam about that and what he knows, but we don't know how long either will be out at this point necessarily, but the shorthanded Rams were off to a pretty ugly start against Nevada and Nevada was, it has been a team that's underachieved this year, partly due to a pair of COVID pauses have just kind of have not been able to hit their stride, but they still possess a lot of talent and a lot of size, which was a little bit of a, a matchup issue for CSU and, and uh, Wolfpack came in hungry. They played tenacious defense. They were killing the Rams inside on offense and CSU was really cold shooting in that first half, but they buttoned down in the second half started making some shots They clamped down defensively over the last five, six minutes, and they ended up with a 77 to 66 win after trailing by 10 there in the, or was it maybe eight down eight at the break? So it's a good sign that Rams can win against a good team when not at full strength and not really playing their best at halftime though. You know, we've been joking about this a little bit, but at halftime, my buddy and season ticket mate, John Ballard and I, we asked Mike Rowe to come sit with us. Mike was sitting at midcourt using another buddy of ours tickets who couldn't make it uh, Michael O'Connor. But uh, we, we asked, him, Hey, come on over here. We need to change up the mojo because uh, things are not working here. First half is ugly. And he took one for the team. He left those, those beautiful second row seats at, at uh, midcourt and uh, left it with us over behind the visitor bench. So well done, Mike. Uh, appreciate uh, you taking one for the team there, but uh, in all actuality that this win, you know, had, had a lot to do with the Rams finally, making some outside, sh- outside shots, uh, more importantly, not really settling for, for shooting from the perimeter and really working the ball inside. The bigs gave some valuable minutes. Deshaun struggled with foul trouble, but he did some good things at key times. He scored six points, but James Moore's really filled in when, when De- Deshaun had to, to sit on the bench with his foul trouble. Played uh, much more extensively than he has um, due to Thomas's foul trouble, he played 26 minutes, scored eight points in that time, grabbed four boards and made a couple of really pretty passes to set up some easy scores. Uh, David Roddy led with uh, the team with 18 points, eight rebounds, six assists, two steals, just another monster game for him. Really uh, hit a big three that kind of turned the tides. I think uh, really there late in the first half that when CSU was down, I think 11 and, and uh, that, that kept the Rams from being down double digits before the half uh, Chandler Jacobs, had a, another nice game. He started hitting some shots from outside. I think he ended up with 14 points. Isaiah Stevens had a – it seemed like a quiet 16 and five rebounds, uh, but just always just a, a steady player, just a great leader. And then uh, Kendall Moore had uh, – he kind of opened the scoring with the – you know, the second half kind of took the lid off the basket with that, that ball, that shot It was kind of early in the shot clock. It was one of those, eh, don't shoot that one, but uh, especially because he had thrown up a couple of air balls earlier in the game but he made a shot that kind of hit the rim maybe four or five times, then rolled around a little bit and finally dropped. And, and that, uh, it was almost like a, here we go. That, that was exactly what we needed. He finished with nine points, you know, and then seven, seven other Rams had six and more on the night. So, you know, we've been talking a little bit about uh, on the message boards. I've seen people talk about shortening the bench um, and the need to do that. And Doug Gottlieb has said this on air a couple of times, but you know, I think this, this uh, the way that that Nico and staff have handled this roster has given the, the you know, 10 guys the ability to play in key, key minutes because they've played so much in throughout the season. And and I think that's contributing that that's certainly helped having that experience to step in when you're missing Thistlewood and Tanja last night. But also as, as a game gets, you know, you come into the, the grind of a game late in the game when the other team might be sucking wind that the Rams are a little fresher because they, they, they do rotate a lot more players in and out. So, um, you know, they've had four comeback wins this year that they, where they've suffered 10-plus point deficits. So it's it's impressive. So that was Tuesday. And uh, next up is the Rams versus UNLV on Friday. To help us recap the win over the Wolfpack Tuesday night, as well as preview the UNLV game this Friday and talk about some other great stuff, we welcome in Adam Nigon. He's the current CSU Radio Network Color Analyst for the men's basketball games alongside Brian Roth. Adam was a prep star at Broomfield High School here in Colorado, walked on at CSU, became a key contributor his freshman season, playing at every game and starting 19 of those uh, in Tim Miles' first season, went on to become a regular starter thereafter, and it was a key part of helping turn the program around. Uh, We're lucky to have his insights on the radio broadcast. Adam, really appreciate you joining us.
2: Yeah, absolutely guys. Uh follow your work here on Twitter and, and various medias and uh you know, I love what you guys are doing for not just basketball, for the the whole CSU alumni to follow in along with you guys.
3: First thing I do when the when the clock hits zero and I'm I'm at a game, it's hard to listen to play by play when you're at the game, but First thing I do as soon as the clock hits zero, I turn on the post game and listen to you guys' commentary. When I'm watching at home, I turn down the the TV and listen to you guys because I prefer your guys' call. But uh, I, I think you do a really good job and giving us all insights. Um, you know, as as us regular fans, you do you do a really good job, Adam. So appreciate you. But uh, hey, looking at last night, you know that was a a bit of a grind. Uh, first half couldn't really buy a bucket. Nevada was imposing their will inside, and it was looking pretty pretty rough there for a while, especially with a couple key contributors sidelined. What, uh, what do you see was the with turnaround in the second half?
2: Yeah, man, that's uh, finally started knocking down some shots or just taking more, less and making more. I, you know, our, our three point woes right now have really just COVID pause, you know, late December, early December kind of a has really affected our rhythm on it from outside. I mean, David Roddy, he might be passing the ball at the most elite level in the league right now, and he's playing next to Isaiah, who everybody knows how good a passer he is. But if if Roddy could have a few guys knock down some of those open looks that he's spitting out to people from some of those posts up, I mean, he'd be probably easily averaging you know two two and a half more assists a game. So the thing to me was they just started dominating in the paint and forgot about the shooting the three. So you look at some of the numbers: twenty two points in the paint second half. 12 points off of seven turnovers for us in the second half and you know one of the hugest things for me uh looking back we scored 50 points in a half and we hadn't done that since uh UNC in November 27th you know so before that point we'd have three or four second halves of 50 points or more so to me the big key there is that 50 number we don't have good of a scoring team we are but finally started to get some guys to knock down some shots and start the show. And obviously
3: 50 points, what a number. Kendall Moore is, is it's, it's weird. You see almost <laughs> two air balls a game from him uh, now these days, I don't know what's happened to his shot, but, but then he'll all of a sudden catch fire. And it really kind of started when he, he took, it was, was almost an ill-advised early shot on in the shot clock, launched that three and, you know, bounced around the rim probably five times before it dropped. And after that, it seemed like everything kind of, got going he willed that one in didn't he he uh we
2: we talked about on the radio man he really willed that one in and we even said it too it's like one of these guys like Deshaun or or Kendall specifically are going to catch fire and it's going to get everybody else going it's just going to be one of those things and he kind of saw that with that shot that he you know took every every speck of the rim and backboard to make it but You know, once that went in, boy, did it set off a a crazy event of, of things for them and all good because, man, he was great with nine second half points all in the second half for Kendall Moore. So really kind of creating all of that, you know, next level stuff for guys to kind of contagiously shoot their threes. And we need definitely
4: a lot more of that. Oh, just from my perspective, that was Kendall. That that shot by Kendall was almost like an FU to the basketball gods. I think he was tired of shooting air <laughs> balls. And I think that was just yeah, his, his way of making a statement. <laughs> you said it, it was one of those ill-advised
2: ones where it's like, just, just let it go, you know, stop thinking about it, just let it go. And that's probably why he, he made it, you know, it was. But so great to see him finally get it going.
3: Hey, one of the things we've been talking about quite a bit on the Ram Nation message boards, and, and it's kind of been a topic this year as the season's gone by, you hear national pundits like Doug Gottlieb talk about, he, he thinks Nico needs to shorten the bench. But as you look at games like last night, especially when you're missing two key contributors, the depth that's been wow. built over the course of the season with the minutes, key minutes being played by, by 10 different guys, essentially, as well as the fact that, you, we close really well. It seems like in every game, and it, 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 I think having that depth and having fresher legs when other teams are sucking wind. Do you see that as, is kind of being a, a real thing with this program right now? Yeah, you know that's interesting how, it, how, how quickly
2: we can go from one of the deepest teams in the league to, to really one of the shortest benches with, you know, just a, you know, two or three guys really coming off the bench last night and. It's, it's 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 one of those things it's good to get all these guys like James Morris comes in plays 25 minutes hasn't played more than 16 all year and has a big huge defensive performance for us and a couple of big buckets down the stretch and you know it's it's when guys like that can get more minutes and and Isaiah Rivera who honestly he's 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 a scorer and he, and he doesn't shoot a lot of baskets as, as good as he is so he can really score the ball too so when you see him get more minutes, you finally can see what, what some of these guys are able to do. It's just, they've been so deep. It's just been so hard for some guys to really catch a rhythm. And, you know, if it's not your night early in the game, you know, you can get buried in that bench pretty easily. As deep as they are.
3: You guys talked a little bit about this after the game, but uh, the performance of James Moores and the, what do played play? 26 minutes last night gave a lot of key minutes, especially with Deshaun and in, in foul trouble. But, um, yeah, he made a couple of big buckets and a couple of huge rebounds, but he also made a couple of dishes that, that were really, really pretty that set up some easy buckets. Um, there was one in particular we he fed uh, Roddy in the lane and for a dunk. And what, what, what can you say about his performance last night? And it's, it's got to be strange for him considering he played a lot more last year and, and has had to kind of accept a different role this year. But when he was called upon last night, he really stepped up
2: yeah he he was starting too most games and so now it's it's a real different thing where Deshaun showed up in the offseason ready to to kind of change his mentality came in earned his starting spot and then all of a sudden you know if you hear that interview we did with James Moore is just he's just ready for his moment you know he didn't really complain or do anything but kind of work his tail off and wait for you know his number to get called and you know, James did so good last night, but uh, but obviously some things that you know he doesn't do as well as Deshaun Thomas, and that's why they go defense for offense because a few times in that game, even specifically last night. He gets a wide-open, dump-down pass. I forget who gives it to it, but, you know, he's just a little too slow going up and gathering and getting to the rim to where he just gets fouled. Instead of getting to the rim quicker, he gets that and one where, you know, you see Deshaun Thomas catch that ball and he gets the and one. So, you know, you see the difference in the the players' mentalities, but it's just one of those things where, you know, it's such a a luxury to have a guy like James and and the mentality that he has coming off the bench, just really willing to do anything that it takes. and play winning basketball
3: do you have any inside uh, word on on the health of adam and and john Tanjay? do you have an idea of how long these guys will be out so i i you know obviously i know what people you know on everybody else knows
2: i know adam has he's been dealing with a heel issue i know they were getting an mri to kind of figure out what was going on nothing in an x-ray shot much but you know Things, just if there's fluid in that and you can't really, you know, run, you know, it's just right in your heels. So it's hard to play through that. And then, you know, Tom J sounds like it's a meniscus issue. Um, again, I I guess they were getting an M R I today or yesterday and awaiting results. But, you know, even if it's a partial meniscus thing, I mean typical guys are out, you know, two to four weeks with something like that. If it's, you know, nothing too major, but certainly a tear would be a whole different issue and you know, the Rams, it's just it's just been really tough, you know, down the last couple of weeks finding somebody to really get going offensively. So certainly losing a guy like Tonje, who's your third highest scorer, is certainly a, a cause for concern.
3: What uh what can you tell us about this matchup with UNLV? Ah uh, man, uh basically Bryce Bryce Hamilton
2: and Donovan Washington, I mean, they those are the two guys who are gonna take pride. of the field goal attempts for sure, and I'm I'm sure if you watch the league last couple years, I mean, Bryce Hamilton's basically a baby James Harden out there, and he's the lefty, looks just like him, and scores just like him, and gets to the free throw line, and, you know, they're just, basically, those two guys, if they can catch fire, everybody else kind of plays their role and lets them do their thing, so certainly a capable game that, you know, we should come out victorious, but... You know, gosh, if we can't make our outside shots and we struggle to shoot the ball from, you know, we're gonna we're gonna let a lot of teams hang hang around. You
4: know, like we did early in the conference. Hey, real quick, uh, I saw on Twitter today that Donovan Williams is out out for uh, Friday. He's got some kind of leg injury, so uh, it'll be Bryce Hamilton against oh. the Rams. I think on uh, Friday. Okay,
2: versus everybody, <laughs> yeah, probably. And and still, I mean, he's got. You know, two of his last three games are, are 30 plus point victory, you know, games. So it, it is you know, one of those things where, you know, a guy like last night, Cambridge Jr., who doesn't shoot the ball particularly well, but you know he's going to let it go. And just takes those guys to see a couple, and, and the Rams could be in for it.
3: Yeah, this UNLV team is obviously rebuilding, um, but they've played some really good teams tough. Is this, uh, I mean, is this, is this, I, I think, are we seeing everybody? Give CSU their a game. Is that kind of a byproduct of when you are the preseason favorite to win the league, and and you're now sixteen and one and and ranked? Is this a real thing where where we're seeing the, everybody's best shot, and and can expect pretty much the same as UNLV comes in Friday?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, gosh, this league is so deep right now. The Rams, you know, get rid of you know get through basically the first two weeks of conference and you know, now you look up and you don't play anybody under the, you know, top 122nd in the nation, according to Ken Palm, you know, the rest of the way out, unless we can figure out a way to get a New Mexico game flipped in there. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy league and it's, it's, it's so good to be a part of, you know, something like this, because, you know, you see Isaiah, how good of a freshman season he had. And then, you know, that's what happens. You get that target on your back. you show everybody how good you're and now you're not fooling anybody or you're getting double teams. And so, you know, particularly for Stevens, he's had some trouble the last, you know, year and a half trying to figure out how to attack, how to pass, and try and feel out those situations. And you know, unfortunately for us, in the last six games, he's actually kind of played like he did that freshman year. That was you know, 53% from the field and 40% from three. But then you got Roddy, who you know everybody knows who Roddy is, what he can do, and you just nobody seems to even stop Roddy. I mean, he's got such a good feel for which way the double team's coming from and where the, the, the bailout pass is. And it's not just a bailout pass. It's the wide open look in the corner across court. And, you know, man, I'm going to keep nailing it on the head, but if we can somehow knock down that shot for us, I mean, we are going to be a, a tough team continuing to, to win down in March. And just, just to touch on Roddy, I know I'm a little all over the place here, but he's averaging 2.7 offensive rebounds per game in conference. And he had 13 in the previous 10 non-conference games. So I mean, this is a guy who's not only shooting the ball well, but he's really just playing bully ball out there. And it's really fun to watch, especially as, you know, the Rams start winning some some real serious games.
3: We're excited for Friday. It's going to be a a big game. And it's also the bigger than basketball game. I know Steve will be honored along with a bunch of other cancer warriors that night. So uh, a big reason to get everybody out. Hopefully the, I know the students have really stepped up this year and would be great to see the general public also fill those seats as well. So um looking forward to Friday. Yeah, that, that's, that's such a cool thing. And, you know, for them to get involved and
2: just, you know, again, make the community feel like they just belong with us for the last few years before Nico, it just, Something had to give, and so it's so great and refreshing to to just see, like especially an event like this, where you just, you know, of course, something bigger than basketball is is cancer and medical stuff, and you're just able to to show the community that you're here for them, and you know, why not? How cool of a thing is it going to be for
4: you, Steve, just to see your name on the back of one of those guys' jerseys come Friday? Adam, it's it's an it's a blessing, it's a dream come true for me, and I've talked about it on my blog and. On uh, Twitter, but you know the fun thing is I had a nice conversation with Joe Desiman last night, and he's going to tell Jalen Scott, "You don't wear your warm up shirt tomorrow night. You're just you're warming up in your jersey <laughs> so that Steve name can be seen." And that that was extremely touching to me that Joe would uh, Joe would offer up something like that. That shows love you the-
2: that man. None of those kids should. Yeah, yeah I love that man. None of the kids should should wear and it all night and you know loud and proud and. And hopefully
4: we give you guys a 50-point blowout, man, because you guys deserve every part of that. Well, I told somebody, if we lose the game, I'm blaming myself. That's my personality. So uh, <laughs> I, would much see, I would much rather see
0: a 50-point win. <laughs> all right. So, Adam, first of all, Mike Rill, and uh, thanks for joining us. You know, we really appreciate it. Um, So, thanks for recapping the game last night and a little bit of a preview for Friday, but we want to get into uh, your playing days here. Um, Yeah, boy. So, so you're a local guy, went to Broomfield High School. You know, you had a great run in high school. You know, started – we're on varsity from your sophomore year on, won state in 2004, in 2005, and 2006. You were all-state here in Colorado. Um, What were your options to play – the next level coming out of Broomfield. <laughs> oh man, I don't.
2: I don't know. I'm. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but the only team that really came hounding down my door was Black Hills State, and uh, at that time they were only NAIA, and I for sure had no interest in, in going to South Dakota or anything like that. So I, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of was just out of options out of high school. I really, I, I wasn't that you know, flashy of a player, I guess, to even, you know, get on anybody's radar. So, luckily for me, I had a, you know, a high school girlfriend who decided to go to CSU. And I said, oh, why not? I'll go up there, go to school. And, you know, it just just kind of worked out after my freshman year. Dale Laird and everybody kind of cleared house and,
4: you know, revamped
2: that basketball team. And one thing led to another. I, you know, walked in the wrong door one day and ended up being a, bas- a Division one basketball
4: player. <laughs> So uh, say so hey Adam this is Steve again uh, so the call goes out when you're when you're a freshman miles comes in we have like two scholarship players after he has to launch uh, uh, the entire pretty much the entire team and Jason leaves um, so the call goes out for tryouts for walk-ons I'm not sure any of us ever heard the inside details of that entire process I think we'd love to hear you uh walk us through what you went through with that whole process of, of uh of, of of walking on uh how did it start how did it go how did you get selected yeah
2: so you know I guess I grew up you know locally in Broomfield playing against um, Devin Beitzel up at Northern Colorado um you know I'm sure if you guys are familiar he is an absolute legend up there they you know went to the tournament his senior year in 2011 but Anyways, I, I went to the CU UN, or CSU UNC basketball game my freshman year. The student sat in the stands and saw him out there playing against, you know, everybody and just was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I played against him. I could probably go out there and at least, you know, maybe do half the things that he does or something. So, you know, I, I mentioned that to my high school coach in passing. And next thing I know, he was up at CSU for one of those you know, summer team camps with his high school team. and he had met with Craig smith randomly and was saying hey i have a kid here he you know was thinking about walking on and you know those guys they had no clue what to do they were like oh you have a, an actual body that can run up and down yeah get him to summer gym let's you know throw him in a, you know some pickup games cuz we just need a body to go up and down the floor so i you know walked into that door you know i played with them probably a month and a half that summer um, you know, Miles walked in the last, you know, week of summer and basically pulled me aside and said, hey, what's your GPA? And I said, you know, it's, close, it's pretty close to a 3.0. And he said, oh, okay, well, you're on the basketball team. You know, that's all he needed to hear. So, I, you know, the big walk-on walk thing wasn't really me. It was more or less they just needed somebody to,
4: to go run around and, and bang on a little bit. <laughs> so but when you got the word that uh, you had a spot on the team what was your reaction what who, who who's the first person you called
2: well I, I had to call my dad you know my dad's one of my biggest supporters you know and then a couple of my friends and you know they oh really need you know you know and it's one of those things where you know and then you creaking you know he was basically the only one left from that team from the previous year and what a great guy to have kind of stick around just to, you know, show you the ropes. He kind of took me under his wing a little bit. You know, I, I, I say the only reason I made the team was just because I was feeding him the ball in, in, in summer league games and, you know, letting him work because not everybody else was doing that. So I, I got to give a lot of props to him for kind of getting in miles ear all summer and letting me know that there was a guy who kind of <laughs> sort of play and, you know, the rest is history, and I, I ended up making an okay
4: player myself. Yeah, I just as a side, um, I met your dad. I believe it was the 2011 game in Wyoming. Uh, I went up there oh, with boy. a friend. And that was a, the snow, the, a, an amazing snowstorm. I think there were probably 80 people in the entire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the game started, and we and I sat with your dad, and we had a great time. He's just a great guy. I hope he's doing well right now.
2: Yeah, so just a funny story about dad you know, I would get him players tickets and you know, those are, you know, right behind the bench and Moby and all that stuff. Well my my dad's a little too uh, you know, high energy and, and yelly kind of guy to where he'd he'd always sit himself up high in the rafters up high in Moby, man. And every every game I go through lines I point up to him, but it was uh, it was our thing and it's uh it's pretty funny, man. He just is a little too fired up. He didn't want to, you know, embarrass himself in front of some of the players, you know, parents.
3: <laughs> That's cool. Well, so so it's one thing you, you earned your spot on the team, but ultimately you were given a scholarship, right? So when when did when did that happen, and how did you learn you were being awarded a scholarship, and what were your emotions there?
2: Yeah, pretty pretty cool moment there. You know, I basically after freshman year, you know, I, I played as much as I did that they they again just kind of had a scholarship available and I, I was able to get my I think it was just books and tuition so it wasn't a full ride it was at least just that my junior year you know I did get a, a full ride and guys, I felt like I was you know getting paid to play professionally you know when I got that stipend it was so cool and you know I'm not a lot of people do actually know this my senior year I actually wasn't on scholarship. they uh our APR was so bad over the four years previous that they had actually been sanctioned and lost a scholarship so there just wasn't another scholarship available to even my senior year give me one so wow. i technically started and finished my career as a walk-on <laughs> you know luckily for me i you know being a, a 50-year guy who played four years you know i i didn't have many credits to take that last senior year wow uh, that's incredible i did not know that so i'm the ultimate team guy taking taking the taking the bullet you know and not getting that scholarship but you know, I wasn't gonna leave that team and what we had built and what we were
4: going. So it was, you know, no big deal to us. I was just happy to be in that room. Love it. So, happy taking taking a bullet for Tyler Smith being part of uh, Carmelo's posse, probably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they had to give Dorian Green that scholarship or something. You know, it was a, a a legendary changing moment. You know, me giving that up. Let's let's just leave it at that. There we go. There we go.
3: All right, let me pause real quick. Give a shout out to Ginger and Baker. Their amazing chefs have created some outstanding specials for Valentine's Day. So make your reservations now. In the cash, they're going to have halibut with forbidden rice and a blood orange gastric. In the cafe, you can choose from Mahi Mahi with strawberry mango salsa or little cranberry ranch wagyu with cognac sauce. These great dishes will be available through Valentine's weekend, and they'll be open from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m on monday february 14th so if you want a special place to treat your significant other try ginger and baker make those reservations now support ginger graham our great friend uh, and supporter of ram nation as well as this awesome fort collins gem of hers ginger and baker
0: so so timmy comes in and the program implodes uh kilby shoots the couch tyler smith decides he wants to be a dj uh, Stephen Franklin finds a credit card and goes on a joyride. Uh, Stephen Gilling transferred. Jason Smith enters the draft. <laughs> Being around the team, like, what was all this like at that time? Oh, man. It,
2: well, you know, all that stuff, luckily, it happened right at the end of the season and kind of, you know, earlier in the, you know, year before that summer league. But, you know, the, the Gilling thing where, you know, he had stolen a credit card or done something, you know, that was, you know, right in the middle of summer league. We were playing and then all of a sudden he just wasn't there the next day. So that was probably the weirdest part and you know, probably the first headache Miles really had to deal with at that level and then, you know, all of a sudden over the next two years we had guys in and out with all sorts of different issues and getting cut or, you know, getting in trouble fighting with their girlfriends and it was just one of those things where man, for those first two years and you just couldn't seem to you know, really get the type of guys that we needed
0: to that that were going to stick around long term, and that you could actually, you know, remember year to year. So, how how hard was it to gel with with you had so many walk ons, late transfers, you know, a ton of incoming freshmen uh, that came in.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it it was, and that that was part of it. You know, it didn't really feel like we actually had a, a real winning chance until my junior year you know, Dorian Green comes in, Pierce Hornog. you know, we had, you know, Wes Eichmeyer transfer in, Jesse Carr was getting healthy, Andy Ogane was ready to go. It, it just, it finally felt like we had turned a corner my junior year and finally found some guys that, like, you know, we, you know, could build around and, and, and start to kind of, you know, get some of those younger guys to buy in because I mean, you just see it now. I mean, those first two years when you don't have anybody, I mean, It's no wonder you just have to take some of those jucals to to come in and fill some roles right away because you just can't put, you know, 15 freshmen on the floor every game. It's, you know, if you want to be at least any part competitive, you got to kind of mix in some of those guys. And it was just tough because we didn't have the right guys in there. And like I said, junior year, it finally felt like we had a chance. Unfortunately, I was only part of that for two years. You know, I had to kind of take my wick for
0: the first two. So. You know, you just had mentioned how tough that first year was, those first couple years. What are some of those fond memories you have from that time, though? Ah, man, it it felt like we had won the Super Bowl when we beat
2: Wyoming my freshman year in the playing game to the Mount West Conference
0: Tournament. That's how
2: bad it was and then good it was, you know. It was – it really – you know, you go 0-16 and – You know, you'd lost a couple of tough games and then finally get one. I mean, it it was such a relief because we hadn't won a game since, gosh, like middle of November that year. So that was one of the big moments. And, you know, as you kind of take your lumps at BYU and Viejas by 30, 40 points, you know, the thing you look back on is, man, I played in front of 23-plus thousand people at BYU, you know, those four years. And every single year they were packed and, you know, it's just kind of those moments of just a guy who, like like I said, never really got recruited, shouldn't have been there in the first place, just kind of look up and go, oh, I'm here in front of it. You know, at least I
0: could say that.
3: When you look back at where that program started your freshman year and the turmoil that it was in and the 0-16 start, as you guys mentioned, you gradually built that 9-22 the next year with four conference wins. You guys go 500 your junior year, got seven conference wins. And senior year, you go nineteen and thirteen, and nine and seven in league play. You went to the NIT. Do you look back at that and say, "Wow, we we really came a long way"? And that was kind of the foundation that set up those those following two years where the the program went to the NCAA tournament.
2: Yeah, and that man, you look at you look at that, that 2011 year. We, we the Mount West was was pretty much as, as good as it has ever been with Kawhi Leonard, Jimmer Fredette, you know you know, V had just such a good program for Juan Kruger and then New Mexico at Steve Ballford was always tough. And it, you know, looking at that year specifically, we had nineteen wins and I think we still had five games to go. But, you know, we lost to Air Force, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, which, you know, is not really uncommon these days down at Clune Arena. But we uh we we kind of fizzled towards the end and then man, right before Mountain West conference tournament I I got rolled up on and I got hurt my senior year and I, uh, I actually wasn't able to play the NIT or the Mount West conference tournament my senior year. So that kind of, uh, leaves a stale taste in my mouth, but, uh, you know, that is kind of how it goes too. So.
4: You brought up 2011 The Mountain West had those two absolute powerhouse teams in San Diego state and BYU. Uh, both of those teams had final four capabilities. BYU fell short because, uh, a uh, player was suspended late in the season with an honor code violation. San Diego State fell short when uh, Jamal Franklin took a stupid technical foul that cost them the game against the eventual eventual national champs, uh, UConn. What do you remember from playing those teams, Adam? I mean, my strongest memory, I, I mean, we were, uh, those teams were fantastic. And I remember, I still remember, I can still close my eyes and see you trying to guard uh, 6'8", Billy White on the wing, uh, being overmatched physically, but that didn't stop you from competing. But what are your what are some of your memories about playing against those two teams?
2: I mean, the funniest thing about my game is, you know, I'm, I'm 6'2", with like a wingspan of 6'7", so I I could guard a little longer and taller than I normally can. So, I mean, gosh, my freshman through junior year, I played one through four, believe it or not. So, I mean, finally that junior year – Craig Smith, the now head coach at Utah, he's, he's telling me, he's like, all right, you're going to start on Billy White here, all right? And I'm just telling you, he only goes left. So he is only going to go left on you. Because I looked at it crazy, like, you know, why am I even going to be in front of this dude? He's just going to post me up all game. So first play of the game, I, I, I get the, the ball. He gets the ball on the low post, you know, Kobe's me up, gives me, you know, I'm the whole time Craig Smith. He's going left. He's going left. He gives me one jab step left takes one dribble and has, like, the meanest dunk that Dave Vasquez, the assistant at Sango State, says it's like the opening clip to all their recruiting videos is this guy just jab-stepping me one way, dunking all over us in, like, a packed Moby. So thank you, Craig Smith, for that. But yikes, man, those guys, you know, a different bit athletic than me.
4: What do you remember about BYU?
2: Uh, they were, you know, one of the nicest forty-point beatdowns I've ever had. You know, you 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 get beat so bad, and then everybody there t- tells you how nice and, and and thank you for coming out and playing us. And it's just, man, it, you know, Jimmer was just a guy, but we we threw everything at him, and and he still would just find a way to either go get fouled and shoot, you know, twenty-plus free throws a game, or catch fire and shoot like, you know. 23s a game. So the frustrating part about him was, you know, we never had a chance to just even keep in front of him. I, unfortunately, in my career, I never beat BYU. I never beat San Diego State. Or no, we beat San Diego State. Maybe I didn't beat San Diego State, but uh, those two, yeah, never beat those two teams, actually. So that's kind of the toughest part is, you know, you forget at Viejas with all those guys, they had about you know, five pros on that San Diego State team. And like you said, Jimmer and then
0: Brandon Davies, who, you know, got kicked off of that team. But, yeah, they were really good. You you kind of talked about it. Your third year, the team was chosen to the CBI. Um, How important was that for the program? Uh, That's an
2: interesting one because uh, the CBI was one of those things where, you know, Coach kind of asked us. It was one of those things we hadn't played in the, you know, postseason. We we really wanted to, but – you know, you you figure you, you had to take us down to Moorhead, Kentucky after the year was over to play in a, a, a first year tournament that nobody had any idea what what it was even about. And so, our mindset going into it was, yeah, you know, we gotta go play this Moorhead State, and you know, they got this guy. I don't know if you know his name, but you know, Kenneth Fareed. You know, he can really jump, and he's really athletic. walk out! Well, well, he pursues to just have about twenty, you know, rebounds and. 18 of them offensive rebounds and you know 20 points so we got a uh a, a little licking down in moorhead kentucky let's just put it that way and you know we kind of uh shaped up quick with miles after that one I figured you know we weren't even going to put ourselves in a position to play in that tournament for next year
4: speaking of miles um what's your best tim miles story and no pulling punches adam okay i want to hear the best <laughs> <laughs> I got
2: too many, I'm, you know, trying to just go down to one or, I mean, he's such a, a funny guy, you know, he's so, he's so fiery from one second to the next that, you know, one second he's beating down the, the board at halftime and the next he's just like, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, yell at you two hours, something. you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. The, my favorite though is that DU when, you know, speaking of boards breaking, you know, we, we go down at half and I think it was my junior or senior year, but we go down at half and we get in that locker room and, I don't know. It must have been like a different hockey type, you know, dry rain for. but he gave that thing one of the biggest punches you've probably ever seen. And, you know, the board doesn't even move, you know, his arm almost shakes back a few inches and it was one of of things where you could tell he, he really hurt himself. He wasn't going to let you know it, but you know, I, you know, we kind of let that go and nothing of it. But of course you talked to him, you know, a couple of weeks ago and he goes, Oh man, I, I, I was all but sure my wrist was broken. I just was, you know, too stubborn to go to the hospital because there was no way I was coming back in a cast kind of thing. So, you know, that might be one of my favorite Tim Miles stories there.
0: You know, his grittiness to not go to the hospital when he thought he broke his real (laughs) wrist. So, I I mean, he told me one story. It would have been your first year. And I don't know if you were one of the five that started or one of the five that came in. But we were uh having some drinks after that game and and it was he made a wholesale change early. And he said that every guy walking off, he was like F you, F you, F you, F you, F you. Every one of them while the next five came in. So were, were you part of that five <laughs> that came in or part of the five that went out?
2: <laughs> Man, he was he was
0: pulling out all the stops that freshman year. We we were doing everything. He, he would
2: have us on, on a road game at Fresno State. We were so bad turning the ball over that he he said, next person who turns it over is going to the end of the bench and is going to do push-ups. So here you got us turning the ball over like crazy, you know, and all right, so just you go to the end of the bench, do your 10 push-ups, and, you know, go take a seat. And uh, that was pretty embarrassing, too, you know, not only taking a loss, but then, you know, in the middle of the game actually having to go do push-ups for turnovers. That's, uh, that's a new low for me
4: one of my favorites, just, just, just to let you know, it was this, the summer of, uh, it was the year of the guns, and uh, I remember talking to Tim, and you know, he had that second floor uh, second floor office, and he told me, he pointed outside and said, you see that bush out there? That's my escape route in case somebody comes into the office with a gun. <laughs> he, was, he was all set to leave. If he had to. <laughs>
2: wow oh, that doesn't surprise me much man that guy he's he's, he's as much of a salesman as anything else isn't he so he's uh you know he's really struggling this year at san jose state and I, I, again on the broadcast i mentioned it to brian he's, he's just got to be careful because i i'm sure there might have been another coach along the way he didn't win a single mount west conference game i'm just not sure if there's two mount west coaches you know, who have had two zero and 16 seasons. So I, I don't know, he, he's going for the all time
0: record. So he's got to be careful over there. I, I hope they pull at least one or two out before they get to that point. So so you played for Timmy as well as Nico who was an assistant back then. You're the color analyst of the, for the team now. And so you see Nico up close and personal all the time. So what are some of the similarities between them as head coaches and, and what are some of the differences?
2: Well, the thing you notice, uh, you know, assistants in this, you know, industry is just they're constant idea guys, you know, like hey coach, you want to try this, you want to try this. And then it's ultimately, you know, the head coach's decision to, if he wants to try it or not. So, you know, a lot of the things that Nico was probably trying to do back then, you know, he probably was trying to do and my miles just really wasn't ready to do some of those things, but, you know, offensively, I think he, he was kind of the reason we transitioned from, it, it was a some of the formal, you know, set kind of ways to move offensively to like, you know, the high post spread that they actually run now. And unfortunately for the team we had in 2011, we just didn't have the pieces to run that style of offense. But, you know, we did try to run that for a few weeks in the middle of our year. And,
0: you know, now he's
2: carving people up with it. And, you know, that offense had I been able to just trust what it could do if you're just stuck with it. I mean, it's it's really so unguardable in the fact that there's so many different, you know, tweaks and and wrinkles that guys can make off of reads that you just got to go out and play and, and hope they don't carve you up too bad.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. What a what a coaching tree that we've seen from the Miles era with Craig and and Nico being so successful. When you look back at the transition and the evolution of the program that happened under under Tim is no hotbed for for college basketball. He performed well, never got him to that next level that they all wanted. But after he was ultimately let go there and he went into that brief stint uh, for, for T V, were you surprised that his next best option was San Jose State? I mean San Jose State is, is about the lowest of the lows in the league for sure, and and probably one of the lowest in the country. Yeah, this uh and I think
2: COVID had a, a real big deal to do specifically with, with Miles. I think, you know, in particular before COVID, there might have been some some coaches that would have gotten fired that actually didn't and, and hung on a little longer than they should. And then, you know, that pushed him out another year to, you want to take a, a job where you know you can be successful, but you also in that business can't get forgotten about either. And so hmm. I think he just was kind of at a point where You know, everybody knows San Jose State's not the greatest job, but at some point you you do got to be relevant still, and you've got to find a way to, you know, make lemonade out of lemons sometimes, and Miles is is one of the best at doing that. So, you know, it's no wonder San Jose State would take a chance on him, and, you know, he's already got them kind of winning a lot more games than they did last year, and starting to build some buzz over there, but uh, he's definitely got his hands full, and I I really do hope he gets – you know, one more crack at a really
4: good job because he deserves it. Hey, so so Adam, last night I uh, I ran into you and Brian uh, at the post game, and we talked about you coming on today. And Brian Brian said something to the effect that we'd need to bleep some stuff out with uh, with the way you talk sometimes. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, I was kind of taken aback by that. And you know, just as I asked you before about uh, uh, your best uh, Tim Miles story. Here's your chance to get back at Brian for what he said yesterday. What's your best story about Brian? Don't pull any punches on him either.
2: <laughs> uh Brian's my guy, man. And Brian, Brian really puts up with a lot sitting next to me and listening to whatever I I put on the air, that's for sure. And you know, he he he's so good to me. And, you know, I, I don't know. Brian he's just so easy to work with. I mean, he's so good at what he does that you know, I kind of squeak into sometimes, and I, I remember briefly in my first kind of couple games as I was figuring things out, I kind of did one of those, uh, I don't know, a guy gets a fast break, and I'm kind of like, oh, shoot it, or go, you know, kind of, Ooh, and he kind of just spots me, goes, dude, that's not radio, you don't do that, just wait till, it. you know, he it, it kind of, you know, firmly sat me down and showed me the rules of radio, and it was such a kind of, way of telling me how wrong i was doing things that you know
0: he's such a good guy and that's kind of like who he is and how he does things that's cool so so you joined Brian in the booth in in 2016 uh those two first seasons Larry Eustachy was our head coach and those first two seasons we ran the full spectrum of highs and lows i mean we had half the team kicked off uh for grades in in december of 2016 then the magnificent seven goes on their run and finishes runner up to uh, Nevada in both you know the regular season and the tournament. We come out in seventeen, kicks the U's butt, and then everything goes crazy where Larry and Steve Barnes are both removed during the season. So what was that like seeing it unfold from your uh, spot at press row and and, and as a former player? Well, I think the biggest eye-opening thing for me initially was, you know,
2: walking into that program and and understanding how Larry Eustachie operated and not knowing him personally and, you know, having a few guys around to kind of tell me how he operates. It was just, you know, it's just a completely different style than anything I had ever been around. And so, you know, that first year, I mean, gosh, Gene Clavel just bonkers. I mean, so, I mean, that San Diego State game on the road that he just, went crazy. I mean, I could not believe some of the shots he was taking. So they, you know, they go on that crazy run and and they're so good. But then that next year, the wheels really came off. And, you know, it was just one of those situations where every day it seemed like I had shown up to do a game. It was something crazy had happened and it was nothing to do with basketball completely, you know? So it goes back to one of those things where, you know, you get a lot of those, you know, second chance type guys and, you know if they're not you know the best people off the court you're going to be dealing with a lot more things that don't have to do with basketball and it's just unfortunate that all that kind of you know unraveled the way it did and you know thank thank gosh that honestly Joe Parker hires Nico Medved because he kind of you know poached him from Drake Drake really had him locked in he kind of pulled his name back and Nico really wasn't that publicly a candidate and I honestly thought we were going to hire Craig Smith or Jeff Linder over at Wyoming now. And, you know, here comes Nico from the woodworks and it's been the best thing to really happen to the program. And, you know, since Tim Miles got hired in 07.
0: So last question for me, and this is one that I always ask our former athletes when, when they, uh, when they join us on the podcast. uh, So when you were in school, where was your go-to bar? (laughs) Oh, so
2: this, okay, this is a cool podcast, and I should have really let my guard down earlier if you guys, okay, uh, so when I went to school, the big one for us was, of course, Wash Bar was still around, and a bar, uh, Monkey, what was the Monkey one? Uh, Drunken Monkey. Monkey one was, Drunken Monkey, and then Tony's were kind of the go-to, you know, obviously Lucky Joe's and Bondi were there,
0: but those were kind of the main three that we'd kind of smooth around the most, I guess you could say. I'm I'm a huge Tony's guy. That was, that was one of my places in college. That was my Monday night hangout in college. And then usually ended up uh-huh. there on Friday or Saturday, but. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately
2: uh, we had a, a little bit of a, a, too good of a basketball hookup over there that it, uh, it was probably too good to be true. And, you know those guys really took care of us over there, and we had a we had a fun time anytime we went to town, especially when they did that rooftop bar, man. So shout out to them, and you know I, I actually went there I think last year, two years ago, with a couple of
0: guys just to kind of run through there again, and
2: same old place, man. I love it.
0: Yep,
3: hasn't changed at all. Very cool. Hey Adam, what do you what do you do outside of uh, calling games for CSU? Yeah. Um, So I uh, own and operate an
2: event center with my family in Broomfield. Um, It's the Chateau at Fox Meadows. We primarily do like weddings and private parties. So I run the liquor license and do all the operations and stuff for that. So we've been business the last twenty three years. I got on the last eight or nine or so, and you know my mom started it, and she's slowly retiring, and now me and my sisters are kind of taking over all of the management and operations and ownership and all that good
3: stuff. Man, I have been there for a wedding, uh, long ago. Before, oh, cool. Apparently, before, I, not where I got married, but I've attended a wedding there. So very cool. That is a that's a neat place. That's awesome. How, yeah, I appreciate it, man. It is. You know, it's every every
2: every now and then you say that, and somebody's like, "Yeah, just like you, I've been there before," you know, or I know somebody, and you know, like actually Jesse Kurtz at the Mount West, he actually got married there. So it's just kind of one of those small
3: world things, man. It's so cool. That is very cool obviously it's fairly flexible for you to be leaving town all the time. And, and, uh, you know, most of your games are, are in the evening anyway. So does it work pretty well to, to juggle those two things?
2: Yeah, it it actually couldn't work better because, you know, the wedding season is potentially, you know, spring through winter and then, you know, basketball season, winter to spring. So, kind of one of those things that just fits my schedule perfectly and allows me to, you know, stay connected with the team because it's, it's been one of the coolest things getting back into the game, you know, this way and especially at, you know, school that I care so much about and to see it kind of, you know, back to the to the, the days that I knew it was, man, this has been just such a cool ride these last six years just to finally get to this moment and know that, you know, we're, we're going to get to the NCAA tournament this year. I uh,
3: I can feel it. I wanted to ask you about that as well. Like how high is the ceiling of this, this program? And is it a, you know, obviously they've got the ability to win a a conference championship. Is that something you foresee them getting done? And then if they do continue on this trajectory, what can they do in the NCAA tournament?
2: Well, if, if they can shoot at the level they were before that COVID pause, they're going to be in every game you know, with anybody in the country, it's, it's just a matter of if they can knock down those outside shots, they're just going to be a guard But if they're going to be really kind of grinding out some of these games, their lack of lack of depth or, or lack of ability to you know, create your own shots, particularly with Tanja Hurt, you know, you see some guys like Kendall Moore trying to create more. Isaiah Rivera is going to have to do a little more. Chandler Jacobs going to do some more. So it's just one of those things where are you going to get these guys to step up in ways that you need? and you know hopefully for us we're just starting to kind of get our feet again and and find our rhythm because man we were humming there for a while to take you know 24 days off and not practice for 20 of them I mean it's just basically a reset to your whole season so it's a credit to what those guys have done and really already you know six and one with a tough game against San Diego State off of a break I mean all things considered you're pretty happy honestly.
0: Just wanted to step in. Uh, Tanjay just just announced that he has a uh, torn uh, torn uh, medial meniscus in his right knee, but he said that he will be playing. So, you know, uh, playing as long as you have. Oh. What kind of an injury is that uh, exactly? Yeah. And how how does that affect your your playing? Well, gosh, just just
2: knowing that something in your knee and and I'd be surprised to see if it's a knee that, you know, he's more explosive off of, you know, more than the other. It's just one of those things that now, you know, knowing it's going to be in the back of your mind. And can you kind of play through that or a couple of, you know, with the meniscus, I imagine it's a lot of grinding and not a lot of padding in there. But, you know, I'm definitely not a doctor, but I certainly can imagine, you know, that's going to be uncomfortable. And, you know, are you going to adjust your jump shot and the way you jump or take off in the lane because of that and is that going to affect you the way you finish I mean certainly a cause for concern but but just to know that he can play through it also tells me that it may not be you know as big a deal and it might just be a little soreness or or rubbing here and there
3: it was funny last night I think it was Isaiah that gave a little oh no it was it was Jacobs that uh, did like a little almost like a year old step where he faked a pass and went the other way. And, and then as I was watching the replay, when I got home, they showed the bench and Tanjay was kind of mimicking the move. And uh, you could see him kind of go, oops, and look down at his, his knee. Like I shouldn't have done that little movement, but uh, hopefully he's able to, to go and that would be a big help.
4: I just, I just wanted to, to add one thing. You were talking about the ceiling for CSU. Um, and if they can get back to shooting the ball like they're capable of, you know, we have that double digit win over Creighton and, you know, Creighton Creighton beat a pretty good Villanova team by 20 points. And then, you know, we have that close win over Mississippi state. And if you look last night, Mississippi state went into Lexington last night and took Kentucky to overtime. Um, We can play with pretty much anybody. I mean, Kentucky has been as hot as anybody. If Mississippi can stay, can stay with them. We certainly can. If we, if we shoot the ball and it's a, it's an interesting kind of team, but it's gotta be fun for you. Um, especially if they get, uh, get going at that level that they were that, uh, you know, calling games is going to be awesome for you. you got to be looking forward to that.
2: Oh, it, you know, it, the, especially these next four or five weeks here, we're going to really figure out what, what, what our
4: guys are made
2: of and, and, and where we actually stand with the Mountain West. Because, You know, not only we got to play, UNLV Friday, then, you know, go to Laramie and have to play Wyoming on the road who, you know, you do not want to play Wyoming because they do a lot of things and and shoot the ball really well. And, you know, I don't know if you saw the game last night, we were, we were sidelined we had the Boise State-Wyoming game going on the side here and, you know, Wyoming came back from nine, tied it up and then all of a sudden Boise took the lead. So, you know, Boise sitting the top of the league, you know, we, we got them, we got to figure out a reschedule for a road game for them. So, you know, you figure we got the the VA game out of the way, but you still got to go to Laramie, still got to go to Boise, you know, still got to go to some of those places and it's, it's, it's gonna, you know, it's going to be kind of a dead shot for the Rams. And I, you know, I just really hope they can kind of find that rhythm, especially behind the free point line, because, you know, everybody other than Roddy Stevens and Lake right now, we're shooting sub 23% from three up until last night. So, you know, that is, that's a the number that really concerns you. as just really relying on three guys to knock down shots is not going to, you know, take you deep into March, like you had
3: said. Well, Adam, uh, this has been really enjoyable. I've enjoyed catching up with you and getting your insights and uh appreciate all your time with us today.
2: No, yeah, absolutely. You guys are awesome, man. Thanks for kind of, keeping everybody plugged. who's not able to, to go to every game or catch every game. You guys are really doing a good job of kind of going inside the scenes and inside the lines of getting some cool hosts and guests and everything. So, right. yeah, happy to come on. Let me know. If you guys want me on again, I'm happy to do it.
3: Thanks, pal. You're right up at the top of the list there for us. So, uh, yeah, would really... definitely love to hear some more Timmy stories. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah, with some no, beers yeah, in hand.
2: I'll, I'll start a journal. Yeah, let me start a
4: journal. <laughs> Give me a couple weeks. <laughs>
3: All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Adam, we'll see you Friday a night.
4: Keep up the great work. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys.
2: Let's go. Let's get into March here. All right. Take care. See you. Right. Thanks a lot.
3: That was great. Our guest Adam Nigon was brought to you by Mighty River Brewing Company. They've been such great support as a Ram Nation. I ask our fans to give back to them. They've got a dozen beers on tap. I encourage you to try one of their newer releases, the barrel age series called In the Deep. It's an English old ale that's aged in old elk bourbon barrels. It was released back in December and it's available on draft in the tap room or in four pack cans to go. And uh, owner Dan Miller is a great Ram fan, a longtime Ram Nationer. And you should stop in, say hello to him, tell him thank you. And uh, enjoy some beer. Show Ram Nation on your phone. Get a dollar off your beers. That's Mighty River Brewing Company. I want to thank our guest Adam Nigon You can follow him on Twitter at a Nigon underscore twelve. Sure was enjoyable catching up with him. We got a big game Friday night, both for our team and our man here, Steve Ivy, and all the other cancer warriors that are being honored as part of the Bigger Than Basketball game. Hope you get out and support them all. That man, the students have been so tremendous all year. Uh, and especially these last couple uh, games since they've been back in session. Would love for the general public to to follow suit. They've been a little slower to come around, but I think with some of these big games coming, uh, we're going to see Moby packed, and I hope it starts Friday night. Thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Go Rams. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest,
0: but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, That's definitely not a problem Uh, Reese. you did it You stumped this charming devil
1: I'm Cindy
3: Lauper My psoriasis was all over Even on my scalp Which may mean four times the risk For psoriatic arthritis But Cosentix works
1: on both empathy is our best policy
4: everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day, that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese, that pillowy bun yeah, you get it every time